Book eighteen, chapters twenty three through thirty one of the City of God. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Darren L. Slider, www.logoslibrary.org. The City of God by St. Augustine of Hippo, Book eighteen, Chapter twenty three. Some say the Erythrian Sibyl prophesied at this time. Now Varro declares there were many Sibyls, and not merely one. This Sibyl of Erythrae certainly wrote some things concerning Christ which are quite manifest, and we first read them in the Latin tongue, in verses of bad Latin and unrhythmical, through the unskilfulness, as we afterwards learned, of some interpreter unknown to me. For Flacianus, a very famous man, who was also a proconsul, a man of most ready eloquence and much learning, when we were speaking about Christ, produced a Greek manuscript, saying that it was the prophecies of the Erythrian Sibyl, in which he pointed out a certain passage which had the initial letters of the lines so arranged that these words could be read in them, Jesus Christos Theo Huios Soter, which means, Jesus Christ, the Son of God, the Saviour. And these verses, of which the initial letters yield that meaning, contain what follows as translated by some one into Latin in good rhythm. Judgment shall moisten the earth with the sweat of its standard. Ever enduring, behold, the king shall come through the ages, sent to be here in the flesh, and judge at the last of the world. O God, the believing and faithless alike shall behold thee, uplifted with saints, when at last the ages are ended, seated before him are souls in the flesh for his judgment. Hid in thick vapours, the wild desolate lieth the earth, rejected by men are the idols and long-hidden treasures. Earth is consumed by the fire, and it searcheth the ocean and heaven. Issuing forth, it destroyeth the terrible portals of hell. Saints in their body and soul freedom and light shall inherit. Those who are guilty shall burn in fire and brimstone for ever. Occult actions revealing, each one shall publish his secrets, secrets of every man's heart God shall reveal in the light. Then shall be weeping and wailing, yea, and gnashing of teeth, eclipsed is the sun, and silenced the stars in their chorus, over and gone is the splendor of moonlight, melted the heaven, uplifted by him are the valleys, and cast down the mountains. Utterly gone among men are distinctions of lofty and lowly. Into the plains rush the hills, the skies and oceans are mingled. Oh, what an end of all things, earth broken in pieces, shall perish. Swelling together at once shall the waters and flames flow in rivers. Sounding the archangel's trumpet shall peal down from heaven over the wicked who groan in their guilt and their manifold sorrows. Trembling the earth shall be opened, revealing chaos and hell. Every king before God shall stand in that day to be judged. Rivers of fire and brimstone shall fall from the heavens. In these Latin verses the meaning of the Greek is correctly given, although not in the exact order of the lines as connected with the initial letters, for in three of them, the fifth, eighteenth, and nineteenth, where the Greek letter upsilon occurs, Latin words could not be found beginning with the corresponding letter and yielding a suitable meaning, so that if we note down together the initial letters of all the lines in our Latin translation, except those three in which we retain the letter upsilon in the proper place, the 
they will express in five Greek words this meaning, Jesus Christ, the Son of God, the Saviour. And the verses are twenty-seven, which is the cube of three. For three times three are nine, and nine itself, if tripled, so as to rise from the superficial square to the cube, comes to twenty-seven. But if you join the initial letters of these five Greek words, Jesus Christos Theo Huios, Soter, which mean Jesus Christ, the Son of God, the Saviour, they will make the word ichthus, that is, fish, in which word Christ is mystically understood, because he was able to live, that is, to exist, without sin in the abyss of this mortality, as in the depth of waters. But this Sibyl, whether she is the Erythrean, or, as some rather believe, the Comean, in her whole poem, of which this is a very small portion, not only has nothing that can relate to the worship of the false or feigned gods, but rather speaks against them and their worshippers in such a way that we might even think she ought to be reckoned among those who belong to the city of God. Lactantius also inserted in his work the prophecies about Christ of a certain Sibyl, he does not say which. But I have thought fit to combine in a single extract, which may seem long, what he has set down in many short quotations. She says, Afterward he shall come into the injurious hands of the unbelieving, and they will give God buffets with profane hands, and with impure mouth will spit out envenomed spittle, but he will with simplicity yield his holy back to stripes, and he will hold his peace when struck with the fist, that no one may find out what word or whence he comes to speak to hell, and he shall be crowned with a crown of thorns. And they gave him gall for meat, and vinegar for his thirst, they will spread this table of inhospitality. For thou thyself, being foolish, hast not understood thy God, deluding the minds of mortals, but hast both crowned him with thorns, and mingled for him bitter gall. But the veil of the temple shall be rent, and at midday it shall be darker than night for three hours. And he shall die the death, taking sleep for three days. And then, returning from hell, he first shall come to the light, the beginning of the resurrection being shown to the recalled. Lactantius made use of these Sibylline testimonies, introducing them bit by bit in the course of his discussion as the things he intended to prove seemed to require, and we have set them down in one connected series, uninterrupted by comment, only taking care to mark them by capitals, if only the transcribers do not neglect to preserve them hereafter. Some writers indeed say that the Erythrian Sibyl was not in the time of Romulus, but of the Trojan War. CHAPTER Twenty Four. While Romulus reigned, Thales the Milesian is said to have lived, being one of the seven sages who succeeded the theological poets, of whom Orpheus was the most renowned, and were called Sophoi, that is, sages. During that time the ten tribes, which on the division of the people were called Israel, were conquered by the Chaldeans and led captive into their lands, while the two tribes, which were called Judah, and had the seat of their kingdom in Jerusalem, remained in the land of Judea. As Romulus, when dead, could nowhere be found, the Romans, as is everywhere notorious, placed him among the gods, a thing which by that time had already ceased to be done, and which was not done afterwards till the time of the Caesars, and then not through error, but in flattery. So that Cicero ascribes great praises to Romulus, because he merited such honours not in rude and unlearned times, when men were easily deceived, but in times already polished and learned, although the subtle and acute loquacity of the philosophers had not yet culminated.
But although the later times did not deify dead men, still they did not cease to hold and worship as gods those deified of old. Nay, by images which the ancients never had, they even increased the allurements of vain and impious superstition, the unclean demons affecting this in their heart, and also deceiving them by lying oracles, so that even the fabulous crimes of the gods, which were not once imagined by a more polite age, were yet basely acted in the plays in honour of these same false deities. Numa reigned after Romulus, and although he had thought that Rome would be better defended the more gods there were, yet on his death he himself was not counted worthy of a place among them, as if it were supposed that he had so crowded heaven that a place could not be found for him there. They report that the Samian Sibyl lived while he reigned at Rome, and when Manasseh began to reign over the Hebrews, an impious king by whom the prophet Isaiah is said to have been slain. Chapter 25 When Zedekiah reigned over the Hebrews, and Tarquinius Priscus, the successor of Ancus Martius, over the Romans, the Jewish people was led captive into Babylon, Jerusalem and the temple built by Solomon being overthrown. For the prophets, in chiding them for their iniquity and impiety, predicted that these things should come to pass, especially Jeremiah, who even stated the number of years. Pittacus of Mytilene, another of the sages, is reported to have lived at that time. And Eusebius writes that while the people of God were held captive in Babylon, the five other sages lived, who must be added to Thales, whom we mentioned above, and Pittacus, in order to make up the seven. These are Solon of Athens, Chilo of Lacedaemon, Periander of Corinth, Cleobulus of Lindus, and Bias of Priene. These flourished after the theological poets, and were called sages, because they excelled other men in a certain laudable line of life, and summed up some moral precepts and epigrammatic sayings. But they left posterity no literary monuments, except that Solon is alleged to have given certain laws to the Athenians, and Thales was a natural philosopher, and left books of his doctrine in short proverbs. In that time of the Jewish captivity, Anaximeter, Anaximenes, and Xenophanes, the natural philosophers, flourished. Pythagoras also lived then, and at this time the name philosopher was first used. Chapter 26 at this time Cyrus, king of Persia, who also ruled the Chaldeans and Assyrians, having somewhat relaxed the captivity of the Jews, made fifty thousand of them return in order to rebuild the temple. They only began the first foundations and built the altar, but, owing to hostile invasions, they were unable to go on, and the work was put off to the time of Darius. During the same time also these things were done, which are written in the book of Judith, which indeed the Jews are said not to have received into the canon of the scriptures. Under Darius king of Persia, then, on the completion of the seventy years predicted by Jeremiah the prophet, the captivity of the Jews was brought to an end, and they were restored to liberty. Tarquin then reigned as the seventh king of the Romans. On his expulsion they also began to be free from the rule of their kings. Down to this time the people of Israel had prophets, but although they were numerous, the canonical writings of only a few of them have been preserved among the Jews and among us. In closing the previous book I promised to set down something in this one about them, and I shall now do so. CHAPTER Twenty Seven. In order that we may be able to consider these times, let us go back a little to earlier times. 
At the beginning of the book of the prophet Hosea, who is placed first of the twelve, it is written, The word of the Lord which came to Hosea in the days of Uzziah, Jotham, Ahaz, and Hezekiah, kings of Judah. Amos also writes that he prophesied in the days of Uzziah, and adds the name of Jeroboam, king of Israel, who lived at the same time. Isaiah the son of Amos, either the above-named prophet, or, as is rather affirmed, another who was not a prophet, but was called by the same name, also puts at the head of his book these four kings named by Hosea, saying by way of preface that he prophesied in their days. Micah also names the same times as those of his prophecy after the days of Uzziah, for he names the same three kings as Hosea named, Jotham, Ahaz, and Hezekiah. We find from their own writings that these men prophesied contemporaneously. To these are added Jonah in the reign of Uzziah, and Joel in that of Jotham, who succeeded Uzziah. But we can find the date of these two prophets in the chronicles, not in their own writings, for they say nothing about it themselves. Now these days extend from Procus, king of the Latins, or his predecessor Aventinus, down to Romulus, king of the Romans, or even to the beginning of the reign of his successor Numa Pompilius. Hezekiah king of Judah certainly reigned till then, so that thus these fountains of prophecy, as I may call them, burst forth at once during those times when the Assyrian kingdom failed and the Roman began, so that just as in the first period of the Assyrian kingdom Abraham arose, to whom the most distinct promises were made that all nations should be blessed in his seed, so at the beginning of the western Babylon, in the time of whose government Christ was to come, in whom these promises were to be fulfilled, the oracles of the prophets were given, not only in spoken, but in written words, for a testimony that so great a thing should should come to pass. For although the people of Israel hardly ever lacked prophets from the time when they began to have kings, these were only for their own use, not for that of the nations. But when the more manifestly prophetic scripture began to be formed, which was to benefit the nations too, it was fitting that it should begin when this city was founded which was to rule the nations. Chapter 28 the prophet Hosea speaks so very profoundly that it is laborious work to penetrate his meaning, but, according to promise, we must insert something from his book. He says, And it shall come to pass that in the place where it was said unto them, Ye are not my people, there they shall be called the sons of the living God. Even the apostles understood this as a prophetic testimony of the calling of the nations who did not formerly belong to God, and because this same people of the Gentiles is itself spiritually among the children of Abraham, and for that reason is rightly called Israel, therefore he goes on to say, And the children of Judah and the children of Israel shall be gathered together in one, and shall appoint themselves one headship, and shall ascend from the earth. We should but weaken the savour of this prophetic oracle if we set ourselves to expound it. Let the reader but call to mind that cornerstone and those two walls of partition, the one of the Jews, the other of the Gentiles, and he will recognise them, the one under the term sons of Judah, the other as sons of Israel, supporting themselves by one and the same headship, and ascending from the earth. But that those carnal Israelites who are now unwilling to believe in Christ shall afterward believe, that is, their children shall, for they themselves, of course, shall go to their own place by dying, this same prophet testifies, saying, For the children of Israel shall abide many days without a king, without a prince, without a sacrifice, without an altar, without a priesthood, without manifestations. 
Who does not see that the Jews are now thus? But let us hear what he adds. And afterward shall the children of Israel return, and seek the Lord their God, and David their king, and shall be amazed at the Lord, and at his goodness in the latter days. Nothing is clearer than this prophecy, in which by David, as distinguished by the title of king, Christ is to be understood, who is made, as the apostle says, of the seed of David, according to the flesh. This prophet has also foretold the resurrection of Christ on the third day, as it behooved to be foretold with prophetic loftiness, when he says, He will heal us after two days, and in the third day we shall rise again. In agreement with this, the apostle says to us, If ye be risen with Christ, seek those things which are above. Amos also prophesies thus concerning such things. Prepare thee that thou mayest invoke thy God, O Israel, for lo, I am binding the thunder, and creating the spirit, and announcing to men their Christ. And in another place he says, In that day will I raise up the tabernacle of David that has fallen, and build up the breaches thereof, and I will raise up his ruins, and will build them up again as in the days of old, that the residue of men may inquire for me, and all the nations upon whom my name is invoked, saith the Lord that doeth this. Chapter 29 the prophecy of Isaiah is not in the book of the twelve prophets, who are called the minor from the brevity of their writings, as compared with those who are called the greater prophets, because they published larger volumes. Isaiah belongs to the latter, yet I connect him with the two named above, because he prophesied at the same time. Isaiah, then, together with his rebukes of wickedness, precepts of righteousness, and predictions of evil, also prophesied much more than the rest about Christ and the church, that is, about the king and that city which he founded, so that some say he should be called an evangelist rather than a prophet. But in order to finish this work, I quote only one out of many in this place. Speaking in the person of the Father, he says, Behold, my servant shall understand, and shall be exalted and glorified very much, as many shall be astonished at thee. This is about Christ. But let us now hear what follows about the church. He says, Rejoice, O barren, thou that bearest not, break forth and cry, thou that didst not travail with child, for many more are the children of the desolate than of her that has an husband. But these must suffice, and some things in them ought to be expounded, yet I think those parts sufficient which are so plain that even enemies must be compelled against their will to understand them. CHAPTER thirty. The prophet Micah, representing Christ under the figure of a great mountain, speaks thus, It shall come to pass in the last days that the manifested mountain of the Lord shall be prepared on the tops of the mountains, and it shall be exalted above the hills, and people shall hasten unto it. Many nations shall go, and shall say, Come, let us go up into the mountain of the Lord, and into the house of the God of Jacob, and he will show us his way, and we will go in his paths. For out of Zion shall proceed the law, and the word of the Lord out of Jerusalem. And he shall judge among many people, and rebuke strong nations afar off. This prophet predicts the very place in which Christ was born, saying, And thou, Bethlehem, of the house of Ephratah, art the least that can be reckoned among the thousands of Judah. Out of thee shall come forth unto me a leader, to be the prince in Israel, and his going forth is from the beginning, even from the days of eternity. 
Therefore will he give them up even until the time when she that travaileth shall bring forth, and the remnant of his brethren shall be converted to the sons of Israel. And he shall stand and see and feed his flock in the strength of the Lord, and in the dignity of the name of the Lord his God, for now shall he be magnified even to the utmost of the earth. The prophet Jonah, not so much by speech as by his own painful experience, prophesied Christ's death and resurrection much more clearly than if he had proclaimed them with his voice. For why was he taken into the whale's belly and restored on the third day, but that he might be a sign that Christ should return from the depths of hell on the third day? I should be obliged to use many words in explaining all that Joel prophesies in order to make clear those that pertain to Christ and the church. But there is one passage I must not pass by, which the apostles also quoted when the Holy Spirit came down from above on the assembled believers according to Christ's promise. He says, And it shall come to pass after these things that I will pour out my Spirit upon all flesh, and your sons and your daughters shall prophesy, and your old men shall dream, and your young men shall see visions, and even on my servants and mine handmaids in those days will I pour out my spirit. Chapter 31 The date of three of the minor prophets, Obadiah, Nahum, and Habakkuk, is neither mentioned by themselves nor given in the chronicles of Eusebius and Jerome. For although they put Obadiah with Micah, yet when Micah prophesied does not appear from that part of their writings in which the dates are noted. And this, I think, has happened through their error in negligently copying the works of others. But we could not find the two others now mentioned in the copies of the chronicles which we have, yet because they are contained in the canon we ought not to pass them by. Obadiah, so far as his writings are concerned, the briefest of all the prophets, speaks against Idumea, that is, the nation of Esau, that reprobate elder of the twin sons of Isaac and grandsons of Abraham. Now if by that form of speech in which a part is put for the whole, we take Idumea as put for the nations, we may understand of Christ what he says, among other things, But upon Mount Zion shall be safety, and there shall be a holy one. And a little after, at the end of the same prophecy, he says, And those who are saved again shall come up out of Mount Zion, that they may defend Mount Esau, and it shall be a kingdom to the Lord. It is quite evident this was fulfilled when those saved again out of Mount Zion, that is, the believers in Christ from Judea, of whom the apostles are chiefly to be acknowledged, went up to defend Mount Esau. How could they defend it except by making safe, through the preaching of the gospel, those who believed that they might be delivered from the power of darkness and translated into the kingdom of God? This he expressed as an inference, adding, And it shall be to the Lord a kingdom. For Mount Zion signifies Judea, where it is predicted there shall be safety, and a holy one, that is, Christ Jesus. But Mount Esau is Idumea, which signifies the church of the Gentiles, which, as I have expounded, those saved again out of Zion have defended that it should be a kingdom to the Lord. This was obscure before it took place, but what believer does not find it out now that it is done? 
As for the prophet Nahum, through him God says, I will exterminate the graven and the molten things, I will make thy burial. For lo, the feet of him that bringeth good tidings, and announceth peace, are swift upon the mountains. O Judah, celebrate thy festival days, and perform thy vows, for now they shall not go on any more so as to become antiquated. It is completed, it is consumed, it is taken away. He ascendeth who breathes in thy face, delivering thee out of tribulation. Let him that remembers the gospel call to mind who hath ascended from hell, and breathed the Holy Spirit in the face of Judah, that is, of the Jewish disciples, for they belong to the New Testament, whose festival days are so spiritually renewed that they cannot become antiquated. Moreover, we already see the graven and molten things, that is, the idols of the false gods, exterminated through the gospel, and given up to oblivion as of the grave, and we know that this prophecy is fulfilled in this very thing. Of what else than the advent of Christ, who was to come, is Habakkuk understood to say, And the Lord answered me, and said, Write the vision openly on a tablet of boxwood, and he that readeth these things may understand. For the vision is yet for a time appointed, and it will arise in the end, and will not become void. If it tarry, wait for it, because it will surely come, and will not be delayed. End of Book 18, Chapters 23-31 through 31. Recording by Darren L. Slider, Fort Worth, Texas, www.logoslibrary.org